Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Here we are with another special episode. We got Jonathan Mark, we got Erica Wright, say hi. <laughs> and we got Daniel Ryan. <laughs> Reading is my fellow horror and exploitation fanatics. There you go. And here to tackle a man of no genre. He is a genre. Um, love him, hate him. He's done some of the most talked about movies for better or worse so uh john will be joining us here momentarily but uh for for now let's just uh just talk about how we got into this wacky dude um <laughs> erica were you already kind of a uh fan of his or did you just kind of say yeah i hear people talk about his movies i gotta check him out or was it just kind uh, of i think i got hooked on his movies around the first kill bill movie Oh, okay. And ended up reading his films before that and seeing all the, the subsequent films in the theater. Uh, so, yeah, I, I am a Tarantino fan. All good. And uh, Daniel, were you already known about him during the VHS craze? I was sweeping well, all I mean, the best. I, I, I was aware of like Pulp Fiction, and <laughs> I never saw the Kill Bill movies, still haven't actually. Really? But, right. uh, Honestly, no. Only clips from them. I've never watched them all the way through. Huh. Oh, good. Um, but, uh, definitely, it was his horror collaborations like *Dust Till Dawn* and uh, you know, *Grindhouse* that really got me into his work. I think it's interesting though how uh, *Bio 708*. He was already just becoming a big thing because he's just even collaborating with other people. Uh, you know, like. Larry Bishop, who had done plenty of movies similar to his, he they did a movie together called Hell Ride, and you know, collaborating continually with friend uh, Robert Rodriguez, who's as we kind of talked about last episode, last episode, has kind of had a little bit of a lesser career as time has not been kind to him. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I mean, they're kind of just cousins who work on each other's movies. Um, I guess. Uh, we can talk a bit about uh, other movies that he's written or contributed to. Um, since we uh, already mentioned from Dust Till Dawn, I'll let you kind of jump into that uh, franchise for a minute, Erica. What's your take on that whole thing? Oh, uh, from Dust Till Dawn? Yeah. Um, embarrassingly, I have not seen it in like, I don't know, 15 years or something. So oh, my, uh, my memory's like um, a little foggy on that. I remember thinking it was a ton of fun. Um, as far as sort of Rodriguez um, collaborations, 
I loved the hell out of Grindhouse. And oh, good. Uh, I saw that, like, I think literally seven times in the theater. I kept going <laughs> back with different sets of friends and making <laughs> Wow. That much machine gun action. So there you go. Yeah. Um, um, Kill Bill is a mystery because, yeah, it was meant to be one movie, but it was split up. I think I think it would have been better had it just been one big, big free hour epic. Um, it's wild how he also rewrote early Jerry Bruckheimer movies like uh, The Rock, especially notably the uh, Mexican standoff at the very end. The dialogue is basically all his. He's rewritten parts of Crimson Tide, but really the only moments you detect are some movie references at the beginning. That the Marines say, but uh, other than that, it has been interesting how he's just kind of you never know really what to expect from his style. I mean, you do, but you don't. He's always got that little uh, just moment. Uh, so I'm sorry if I'm a little loose in the logic here, guys. Um, we're going to mainly kind of focus on the main, main portions of his whole uh, resume, but I'm just kind of starting off with some collaborations. Has anyone here ever seen uh, Four Rooms? No. Okay. Not. So, long story short, he, Rodriguez, uh, uh, Alexander Rockwell, and Allison Anders, you know, who's best known for Mi Vida Loca and Guest Food Lodging, they just all did these just this wacky anthology movie. I can't fully recommend it, but it is an outrageous movie in that it just, it, it was basically, uh, you know, just Tim Roth playing a uh, bellhop, just showing this, you know, just all these unusual hotel guests. And I think it would be liked more if, Anders and Rockwell's first two portions of the movie actually worked. But I wasn't really even crazy about uh, Tarantino's moment, but I think it was mainly just because on whatever viewing I was watching, I was just worn out from just how bad the first half of the movie was. It is one of those, it's a four story movie. So you got to pretty much just split it up. Um. <laughs> And if you don't like that segment, then you just got to go to the next segment because it does get better. But it is one of those like ah, this movie would be so much better if they did not have that segment. So I think that is pretty much the whole reputation. It's become this whole cult comedy of these weird people at this hotel. But Interesting. <laughs> well, and I hate to even kind of have to take that stance because, you know. This has a big all-star cast. So, I mean, <laughs> even actors, uh, you know, playing uncredited characters. So, I mean, uh, it's also very wacky because as a result, I mean, these characters end up crossing over into the other stories. And if you haven't seen the other stories, which weren't all that great, then you don't really get this part of the story. So, if you see it on cable, uh, make time for it, I guess. Mm -hmm or don't it's <laughs> it is one of those again it there's some funny moments and i can see why it's a cold comedy but because the early half of the four segments aren't very funny it's it's a rough set so mm -hmm. 
uh, and it, when it is funny, it's not mahaha. It's just kind of more, ah, I see what you did there, you wise ass. It's that kind of stuff. Um, it could have definitely had mo- different elements, and that might have made it work better. But instead, it was just, you know, uh, you know, a billboy just talking to the camera and then introducing all these various colorful people at this hotel. Um, as it's gone on, it's kind of found a new life on, you know, home media, but uh, depending on the Tarantino crowd depends on who's actually heard of it. <laughs> so other than that, um, it's wild how it's he... Here. It's not a lot of people. <laughs> Basically it. Uh, who here has seen... Uh, well, I mean... I'm sure you guys have seen it, but it's kind of wild how he did a guest directing segment on uh, Sin City. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a ton of fun. Well, the whole movie was like, completely cool, uh, but really fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what's your take on him as an actor? Is he a decent actor or is he a bad actor? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm never going to consider him the best of all time, but he is one of those... I haven't liked him in The Muppets Wizard of Oz, but I know Daniel's like, eh, that wasn't too bad compared to his other stuff. He's in the Adam Sandler film, Little Nicky, so you can't expect him to be good in that. When he but throws himself in there, it's for his own amusement. Right. Yeah, uh, accurate. <laughs> his first acting credit is a 92 TV movie with Joe Estevez and Dwayne Whitaker called Eddie Presley. I have seen that boring movie, but I don't recall him in it. Because, well, what do you expect? It was boring. Uh, he's really, really, really bad on Destiny Turns on the Radio. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, that is a movie that, well, if you want to ever say he's good at something, well, you you, you definitely know he acting is not his forte. <laughs> you see that. And I don't... And I think he works in some of his movies, like Pulp Fiction, but there's mm-hmm. other movies where he, he's like, okay. Like, you laugh at uh, Django Unchained because he just gets blown up randomly. Mm-hmm. He's like the most memorable death, which is, you know, someone getting blown up by their own dynamite. But it's also just one of those is like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have we seen... Uh, <clears throat> I can't speak today. Um, God, John, are you going to get on here? <laughs> Currently not. <laughs> he did a two-part episode of CSI that was crazy. I've seen that one. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, um, it was definitely it, like um, William Fredkin. It was, step, it was a step away from him, but you could detect his signatures. <laughs> yeah. He had other weird TV acting roles like on Alias and Duck Dodgers. I wasn't really crazy about those roles either, but some people made him a big deal. And I was like, okay. (laughs) 24th and a half century. (laughs) Yep, that was the one. My parents were all into that, and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to stick with the classics. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) John, what the fuck? Are we boring you? No, I'm just <laughs> he's supposed to be on here already. Um so I can we're, Yeah, we're vamping for time, but 
I don't know, in terms of other projects, any, uh, well, okay, I love the Hostel films, the Eli Roth ones, not the third one that someone else directed, but Tarantino was the executive producer on those. So yes, he was. It makes sense. Like my two cents of uh, different collaboration that he didn't direct, but I really enjoyed. He's definitely, he likes his torture. Mm-hmm. I, I like torture as well, so <laughs> that's why I vibe with a lot of Tarantino movies. <laughs> uh, he likes the old school exploitation movies where they held nothing back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I do admire that too. Like one of my favorites time periods for film um, is the 1970s exploitation and horror genres. I just love how raw they were and um, like way over the top, very sadistically violent and uh, yeah, usually weren't afraid to show stuff. I can do torture if I feel it's needed in a movie, but there's other times where it's like, yeah, I'm this just feels like a really bad exploitation movie. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is back then it made sense what they were going for and it's just outdated and silly. And you see it now, and it's just like, oh, my God, how can anyone sleep at night? <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, uh, it would be interesting to see him attempt some Brian De Palma or Giallo-type movie, I think. But I think it would be interesting, yeah. I don't, I don't think he'll do it, because he's got to have his own deal. He's got to blend it like a milkshake. <laughs> right. <laughs> a $5 milkshake. <laughs> with a kahuna burger um <laughs> so i don't know I hear they the... make some tasty burgers oh my god <laughs> <laughs> jesus um so let me see if i can ring how do i ring other members of the chat think they i think that call button is active so whenever they're able to join um they can just click it okay well there might be a way to tag someone to sort of nag at them or something uh yeah i see the text <laughs> that popped up okay <laughs> get the fuck in here john <laughs> what the fuck john you said you wanted to do this so it'd be just 20 minutes all right well I'm going to give another 20 minutes and then head on. Um, so how do we, what do we really consider just kind of the main star of his movies besides all the various stars of new and old um, that me? have popped up? Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's the main star anymore. <laughs> he's got it. Something almost makes me feel like he just wanted to just, invade various film forums by having him talk about his various over-the-top movies. I'm just actually surprised at how accepted he's been right. at how even how many other movies I've liked that are knockoffs of him mm-hmm. and and other people are like, oh, you're Tarantino ripoff. It's like, well, Tarantino, that's the thing. Tarantino rips off everything, so how are they? Yeah. <laughs> if anything, they're just using his template to get away with their excuse for various violence and unusual mm-hmm. storytelling. So, uh, 
it's kind of wild how he's for a while, you know, when he first starts out, he embraces kind of the LA kind of crime underworld and then ditches it for just more road movies and then revenge movies. And now for a while, he's just been going back in time all of a sudden. Yeah. Like historical revisionism. Um, yeah. And then somehow connecting it to his whole timeline by having them be like, the cousin-in-law of, you know, Mr. Pink or something like that. Just, <laughs> just Yeah, yeah. And then having, you know, all the actors he loves and knows just make cameos. Yeah, I think that's what I've been disappointed by some of his recent movies, good or bad, is how many of his go-to actors have been underutilized. Like, he's used Michael Madsen a lot in his recent stuff, but not in as efficient a way. And I'm like, seriously? Why even have him in the movie at all? Um, this is a creature habit. Yeah, apparently yeah. so. He does like to cast the same people repeatedly. I think my favorite recurring cast member is probably Christoph Waltz. Um, yeah. I think he, he just in Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, but I think he's my favorite actor who's been in a Tarantino film. But there have been a lot of really good ones, and I do like Uma Thurman as well. Yeah. A lot of these actors, they haven't been as well used in other projects, but they always have these Tarantino ones to go back on. So uh, I think that's just it. I think because he just really gelled with them, he basically made their careers immortal. Like, Waltz and Uma is definitely a good segue. They've done a lot of really bad movies recently, but <laughs> it's okay because we're, people are still going to remember them from their Tarantino offerings. So, true, true. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Walt's basically now, I guess you could say, the most successful out of these, and out of Tarantino that he's done, has been probably uh, Horrible Bosses 2 and these Bond movies. So, I, I don't know. Uh, I definitely feel like, at times, like he's slowly becoming the next Star Wars. And I don't mean in terms of just, you know, explosions and everything. I mean in terms of people like to just sometimes just get offended by his movies and just have <laughs> endless trolling and arguments. And it's like, seriously, <laughs> why, why are we doing this? Why does everything have to have an argument attached to it? You either liked it or you didn't. It. Uh, you're going to always like at least yeah, one or there two. Was, there was a time where JJ Abrams and Michael Bay were praised for their work. Well, hell, I already mentioned The Rock, so <laughs> Michael Bay and Tarantino did technically work together. Um, um, so I'm going to slowly state all these movies, and I'll mm -hmm. let you guys rank them. Cool. And then just give just brief mini, you know, mini reviews and a five-star rating to them. So, um, so I'm going to mention in release order. Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, Pulp Fiction, Natural Born Killers, uh, Desperado, From Dust Till Dawn, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, Grindhouse, and Glorious Bastards, Django, and The Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> With further ado, uh, which of these movies uh, just start? If you got the Wikipedia listing in front of you, you guys can just go through the list and rank them <laughs> in what order you see fit. 
Pulp Fiction is definitely his opus. Okie dokie, yeah. Um, you know, that it was, was... Really, he came into his own as a director and established all the little cliches that he's now known for, as well as, well as several relationships that have solidified to this day. Yeah, uh, Roger Avery, he was a, he and him were like housemates. And so if they ended up taking, they, they joked that if they spent more than like an hour together, you know, they had to credit each other for their work. Roger Avery went on to do the infamous, but it's kind of liked by some people, uh, robbery movie, Killing Zoe. And Tarantino kind of has like a producing credit because he contributed like a few lines of dialogue to that that Avery took. He insisted on that. Um, I have tried watching it multiple times. It, it's kind of there, but it's got just so much amateur mistakes. Like just really, really bad looking gore. And <laughs> that's not even part of the charm. It's just like, <laughs> this should be funny. I was sold in the trailer, the cast. And it's like, this is a big all-star cast. You know, I like Julie Dupli and all those, uh, you know, movies with Linkletter and Ethan Hawke. And she's wasted here. Uh, Eric Stoltz is here, but he's not exactly there. So it's just like, this was just a really flat out disappointment. But I can't blame him for making it because it was made in the wake of dogs and before fiction. Um, so would you rank fiction in all time classic guys, or would you just kind of all time? No modern. Yes. Well, okay. Gotcha. Cause as far as, oh, go ahead, Daniel. No, I, I would not put this up there with say Casablanca or Gone with the wind, but for my lifetime of the 80s and 90s, yeah, this is a modern classic. You know, it was highly influential and remains so. And the careers it revived, the careers it launched, just it, it's a pivotal film. It's also sort of really cringeworthy how many movies just <laughs> insisted on, on being told. Oh, well, that, but just, oh, of course. It's out of chronological order. It's right, like, right. but it was just. That's such... one thing I will say. Damn him for he put that in stone. Right. Uh, it, it, it's just, uh, and because so many people abused it, mm -hmm. it just looks really worse. Um, it's definitely up there, but as time has gone on, I've kind of gelled a little more with some of his later ones, but uh, yeah, it's still a very solid, I think four out of five movie. Some of the dancing and uh, uh, restaurant scenes can be a little repetitive by today's standards, but it's still kick ass by the second half, just seeing uh, Bruce uh, try <laughs> to survive the ring fight, uh, having again, Ving as Marcellus Wallace and just having all these other guys, but uh, does he look like a bitch? Yeah, right. And, all, <laughs> uh, and Jackson's, you know, role, and Travolta just forever revised. I mean, that makes Jackson's career essentially, and this uh, reignites Travolta's career for a brief time. So it is kind of just one of those where it's like, uh, you definitely couldn't make it today. I don't even know what movies would be like today without it. They're so spoiled on it. Um yeah, I would say it's it's my second favorite of, of the films that Tarantino yeah. directed. Um, 
he did pull all these different plot threads to get together just brilliantly. Um, you know, before it became overused, that that non chronological storytelling was really great when he did it. But yeah, it is one of those tropes that's overused, kind of like that uh, bullet time action sequence that the Matrix did got overused to death. You know, right. I was just yeah. one of those. It's like it was so cool when it came out. It's like, damn it, everyone copied this fucking thing. So as a result, the movie is a little hurt by it, even though it yeah. does it the best out of all of it, because there's just that there really are that many stupid producers who don't know what movie making is. They just mm-hmm. are the money men. Oh, people responded to that. We should put that in every movie. It's like, no, you should let the talent do what the talent does, which is come up with stuff and you market it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And unfortunately, everyone's still on autopilot. We're still seeing, I mean, they hire company, separate companies to make movie trailers. So that whole, we're going to advertise it ourselves" kind of factor has always kind of been gone for a while, which sucks because it used to always be kind of in studio. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. By at least 01, you start seeing a difference in how trailers are presented. Um, so backtracking, he made a very impressive, you know, he just won all the awards at Cannes Film Festival when he made Reservoir Dogs. And I just want to get your impressions on that. Is that still one of the greats or is that not aged too well? Because everyone's ripped off, you know, gruesome robbery exploitation. It's very good, but it definitely, I don't think, holds the test of time as well, because uh, that is one where now everyone's done it. Mm-hmm. And in terms of his overall projects, that's one where you can see how crude he was when he was beginning. Yeah, uh, it is kind of annoying how he doesn't have too many female roles other than the DJ and the waitress at the beginning. Um, I like how the robbery isn't shown. And at the same time, I kind of want to see the robbery. Just because, I don't know, there's just so much that's set up for it. Um. It is kind of ridiculous after a while how uh, how many people are bleeding for X amount of time and they're still alive by movies in. Um, uh, it does have a kick-ass opening, and if anything, everybody should see literally just the first 10 minutes. Just them in that diner just talking to each other. It's like, these guys are all psychos and you would never know it because they're all having a supposedly regular conversation. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, since, you two, since you two have seen me, I may as well ask: Do I look like Steve Buscemi? Yes, you do. I don't. Oh think so. God! But I that's. I but that's so. a compliment. You're getting all. You always get offended by his teeth. We're just talking well, about. At least have better teeth. But we're not talking about the teeth. We're just talking about the persona, just the cool kind of uh, talkative. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think you look like him, honestly. Because <laughs> I've also been told I look like Rick Astley, so. Well, well, we'll be yeah. together forever, bro. <laughs> never gonna give you up. <laughs> yeah, they're never gonna give the resemblance up. Um, yeah. Um, there was a video game of this. I have seen reviews of it and actual footage of it. God, what a terrible looking game. Oh. Really? They've like, made games of everything. Yeah, but like it was just so bad it didn't even match up with the even the storyline of it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> um Harvey Cartel is great in this. Um 
what can I say? I love Mr. Pink, even though he's the biggest douchebag out of all these guys getting lucky <laughs> and saying, I don't believe in tipping. I'm <laughs> like, damn. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, that's such a famous bit there. It's a famous bit. And yeah, it's like, that's the amount of times I've heard that monologue in different acting classes I've taken. Yeah, yeah it is wild. Yeah, is it? You definitely can't do the whole why did why do I get to be called Mr. Pink one nap by today standards. That would be ooh. That, that <laughs> That's it is I guess I like how Chris Penn is utilized here as a sporting character. I like how it's just doing throwbacks to all older noir heist movies and then just kinda just having it be kind of a survival movie and interrogation. And we talked about before how, you know, stuff like Breaking Bad, we're used to just seeing montages of people getting killed while we're seeing all this classic music add a bit of irony to it. So that pretty much solidifies itself in pop culture. I see people nowadays who feel like it's anticlimactic because it's not a happy ending. I even get annoyed when I see people comparing just a regular heist movie to this one because I'm like, no, that heist movie is more like Dog Day Afternoon or Heat. This this really doesn't have anything to do with Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> yeah, I, I have not seen that in many years now, but um, it was a really fun movie. I, I thought it was effective, but it is one of those things where maybe it hasn't aged as well. Um, I do prefer a lot of Tarantino's newer work to it. So out of my overall ranking of films that Tarantino directed, I put it at eight out of 10. If you're, 10 as in Kill Bill is split into two. So so I have it kind of near the bottom, but I don't hate any of his movies. It's just okay. close to the bottom. I'll get to the Oh, good. Uh, so uh, John is going to join us here in about five minutes. Jesus. Presumably. <laughs> uh, no, he just texted me just now. Um, and by text, I mean Facebook. I don't mean I have his personal number. <laughs> That'd be weird. Um, <laughs> no, it wouldn't be weird. I'm just joking around. But so I, I think from that point, those movies literally do. It does take you a while to realize, like, holy shit. Okay, so Mr. Blonde, the psycho played by Mike Madsen, is related to, you know, Vincent, the hitman in Pulp Fiction. And what a shame it is that they had never been able to get that movie idea off the ground. And it wouldn't make sense by today's standards because, you know, they don't look at all like what they looked like in the early 90s. So it's just like, why did he miss out on that? Or at least try not. Why couldn't he have snuck those characters into some other movie he did? Mm. I think it could have worked, but he just has not built on that, and I don't know why. It might have just, been lazy that way. It might have been lazy. I just would have thought, found it a little bit interesting, but at the same time, it's just kind of wild how he's just talked about endless kind of things, and yet hasn't ever gone on it he's just always gone in a totally different direction each time as if he has to prove himself and i don't think he has to prove himself anymore he's already gotten there so i don't know what his deal is <laughs> oh john are you getting on here no. <laughs> um anything else just kind of just on how this betrays la how this betrays just you know Oh, LA. Boyfriends, girlfriends, people trying to make ends meet, and then 
gets sappy one minute and then gets you know abandons all this god godfather type you know musto for all this other kind of just bizarre just <laughs> demented uh kidnappings and everything um <laughs> anyone else want to add to that just not much to it okay it's just all there all right um so dogs is kind of my favorite just kind of four out of five but i there's definitely people i i can't recommend it to a mainstream audience because everyone for whatever reason wants a happy ending when don't you know <laughs> these never have happy endings um i wanted to kirk baltz who plays the tortured cop at one point i did want to actually go to an acting session with him but i just couldn't call off work so i didn't get to go but he was in town doing a two-day acting course and i was like that that'd be cool to see because he's been an interesting character actor and he'll always be that dude he wasn't known at the time but he'll always be known as <laughs> tortured cop you're <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> slicing um <sighs> come on john what the fuck <laughs> are we boring you no, I just, he said he was going to be here, so I don't want to proceed and then go all the way back and then back confuse people. That's going to be a nightmare in the editing department. Uh, <laughs> how do you feel that he uses music there versus how he uses it now? Because now he kind of goes a little way more modern. And right. here he was using, you know, lots of lesser known 70s movies. And it's so wild how Little Green Bag, you know, and Stuck in the Middle with You, you know, are just better known because of that movie. I I would have never thought it, but. <laughs> well, music was always one of. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just. You probably have a better insight because I actually don't remember the music used in that film, but I remember it for his more recent films. So, oh, good. Uh, I think he always used music effectively, and he has adapted with the times. But uh, he has gotten pretty cliche as of late. It's like he knew what he wanted to do back when he did it because it was funny, and now when I see him use music nowadays, yeah, I'm just kind of like. Why don't you put that on the B side? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's in the movie. I don't have a choice. Um, it depends. It really just depends. Um, uh, but other than that, um, uh, so I'm going to introduce this to True Romance. <laughs> and see this is another one that you know varies by audience so uh you know he sold a script to tony scott he approved of what he did um what's everyone else's thought on this because this once again you know has him using the likes of uh sam jackson at the start and chris penn <laughs> not as big a fan of this one all right uh uh, I, I pretty much just love uh, Christopher Walken's brief villain role, but I kind of complain because he doesn't really come into play for the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend who was obsessed with this. I haven't seen it as many times 
as all these other movies, but I feel like it's a pretty strong cast, but I feel like either ending in the movie doesn't really matter, if that makes sense, because, I mean, after a while, everybody kind of starts to sound the same, but at the same time, there's just a lot of kick-ass moments. I just love the energetic vibe and 70s kind of look that this movie goes for. Uh, really outstanding cast like that's uh, kind of what I remember about it um, and that's one of those movies that I watched it a few times uh, in the 90s and then I didn't revisit it I, I think I just got a lot more into horror than sort of crime uh, type films oh good this, this wasn't one, it's too busy for me Okay. You know, there's too much going on at once. It feels like he went overboard on the formula that had worked so well in his other films. Right. Uh, it's kind of weird that it's by Tony Scott because it's not the typical kind of s style that you later see him use. Um, I will say there's a little bit too much melodrama for my taste, but... Uh, I guess just all the double crosses just are kind of just fun because you just know it's just going to get more and more chaotic as the movie goes along. Uh, apparently, I guess you could say uh, the only thing that changed from the screenplay that Scott adapted was he just made it more conventional linear structure as opposed to non-linear. Mm -hmm. I guess you could say... Maybe it would have been better if it had been nonlinear. It would have been more mysterious. It's wild right. to believe that, you know, just I'm not surprised. Actually, no, I'm not surprised it was wasn't a box office hit because, again, people were still embracing uh, dogs on home videos, so they hadn't yet seen fiction. Um, but it always was just kind of one of those movies. Have you seen that one? Everyone always just instantly goes to the ones that he directs versus uh produced or wrote um apparently the brad pitt stoner character which i don't find even that memorable in the movie apparently was the inspiration for the film pineapple express yeah. i never made that connection but <laughs> can't say i have either um what do we think of gary oldman in this it's the violent drug dealer <laughs> the the pimp <laughs> like no one saw that coming <laughs> I think it has some interesting really deaths, though. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I usually think Gary Oldman's like pretty brilliant in pretty much everything he's in. So yeah, I I can dig it. Oh, good. We got quite the cast here. We got Ed Louder as the police captain who stops him on the highway. We got Bronson Pynchon from Beverly Hills Cop. We got. Again, I just mentioned Dennis Hopper. We got Saul Rubinick, of all people, Michael Rappaport. This is a wild cast. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's, it's just so wild just how this kind of gives a bunch of role. This is just one of those cult movies that Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette are remembered for. Mm -hmm. And it's wild because it was not a big on their radar at the time, so... Um, that's all I have to add to that. Um, 
no one else has anything but this is kind of when i noticed each time he collaborates with people he basically always has a road trip movie that he gives them mm-hmm. this is like the first of that wave so yeah uh i like it just not as much as all the other ones still three and a half out of me just because walking's brilliant in it um so i'll move us on to natural born killers Oh boy. You guys are being quiet on the airline. Um, <laughs> let's circle around here. Erica, how did, how did you come okay. across this movie? Well, um, I didn't really bone up so much on the collaborations as I did on just the films that he directed. I did see this um, around the time it came out. Um, liked it well enough at the time. Didn't really rewatch it, so I'm not a great person to ask. No, I'm good. I'm good. I find this movie pretty brilliant, but uh, much like some of the other movies, I feel like it's been copied to death. I feel like this is the only reason that Rob Zombie has a career as a <laughs> filmmaker. He's Before. just basically been watching this on acid on loop, and <laughs> and hopefully he didn't eat any of my sister's pot brownies. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those. It's like, oh my god, seriously. Oh, well, if you want to come all the way here to Dallas, Texas, be my guest, but. <laughs> I'd have some, but I don't want to risk taking a drug test and failing it. Um, I also just don't want to be loopy. That doesn't do anything for me. But um, uh, it is one of those where it's like, seriously? Um, I understand, though, why it didn't work. And I don't know why everyone hyped up the director's cut. Really, the only th- difference you see is just a few character deaths, like uh, Tommy Lee Jones's Warden's character, you know, seeing his head impaled on a stake. But uh, other than that, than that, you know, I think there's some funny moments. I think Juliet Lewis works way better here than in From Dustal Dawn because it's just, especially the worst head I ever got scene. That's just fucking hysterical. But uh, I like how this just makes fun of. This is ahead of its time, and just because at that time we were starting to see tasteless programming in the daytime that was being ridiculed by politicians who were also hypocrites. So. I just think this is kind of like the running man where it does a good job just showing how the media just likes to hype up all these other assholes to where they're also kind of secretly psycho. I mean, you got the unstable policeman who's going after him. You got the warden who basically wants to uh, just, he's willingly letting the reality crew come in here. Then you got Robert Downey Jr. Who's again, the talk show host of the reality show that goes after fugitives and killers joining the fun. So I think it's very organized. It shouldn't work, but it really does work, in my opinion. Um, uh, had it gone on any longer or anything, it would have just totally lost everybody, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think because it's just so fast-paced, and, I mean, just how they use kind of a fake sitcom structure at the start to just get you in the mood for showing you how loopy all both these people are. They are not living in any sort of reality. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and the, the kind of sitcom laugh track over some of the flashback scenes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they don't they don't even bleep out half the words half the time. They're just mm-hmm. showing you how, as a they're pretty much showing you where the contradictions lie in all of these people. They all want, and basically they just invent their own rules. Uh, it, it it shows you how they think they're doing something good, but they're really actually doing the worst possible thing known to mankind. 
-hmm. Yeah, I just made my baby brother an orphan. But to me, no, I set him free. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. From the parents. Um, We got married. We just didn't do it the normal way. Um, It's weird how there's a bit of Japanese influence just not only on the TV segment, but also just having him uh, raid the one uh, meat market. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't a meat market. It was just a simple store. And it's just wild how they just come on in there and they're getting trailed. Um, I like how it's just, even though it's violence, I don't, I know that it's in on the joke and there's some sleaze, but I know that it's not, you know, trying to be just a lesser B grade movie. Um, and I, I understand why it failed. It was just way too fucking ambitious for 94. (laughs) And yet, and yet it's probably the most imitated style I think I've seen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, this did not work as well for you, Daniel. I uh, just want to just reminisce on some of it. I mean, I know it's like a modern classic. It just never rubbed me the right way. Don't, don't ask me why. Okay. It just was off-putting from frame one to... Yeah. Okay. was unimpressed by it. Okay. Very cool. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, please. Yeah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want us here to say. Ah. 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 Ah.
you. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, Peach. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we're going to end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything yeah, that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping absolutely. up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's late, it's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. 
We love good movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies with a one last black holes of gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Stephen at eilfm.podbean.com. Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author Wendy Heller and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, the life of Lydia Zeminoff, daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant two podcasts one is the macgyver podcast where we celebrate richard dean anderson his iconic roles and how it's influenced our lives there's episode discussions interviews and life conversations the second podcast is the never gets old podcast where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life from tv movies music and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series. 
an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. We now continue with our program. So now we've kind of gone through all the various ones. Let's just skip on over to uh, Jackie Brown. This kind of revitalizes him as saying, hey, I'm going to... I'm very influenced by Elmore Leonard, so how about I adapt one of his short stories? Uh, this one, this was like one of the first ones I saw all the way. I made the mistake of watching it on regular TV. Don't ever do that. You'll miss all this other subtexting, and that says a lot, because it's not as foul-mouthed as most of his movies. <laughs> I've actually not seen this one, so I can't say much. Oh, okay. Uh, I think it's probably... It's similar to Bastards in that it's very laid back. And, you know, it just has plenty of moments of the characters walking with fancy music playing. And then you get to see more of the world and all the unexpected stuff is saved for the finale. Um, Erica, have you seen this one? Yes, yes. It's It's been a while. It's one of those that I bet if I watched it again now, I'd probably appreciate it more than I did back then. Yeah, I, think at the time, I felt like it was a little too slow, too convoluted. Um, but you know, then again, you know, one thing that Tarantino is great at is pulling different plot threads together in these very brilliant ways. Um, he has a knack for dialogue, so maybe what seemed super slow to me as a teenager would actually seem really brilliant to me now. Um, just based on how I remember it though, since I haven't rewatched it recently, I put it like my, it's my second least favorite of the films he directed. But again, it could come up if I rewatched it. No, that's fine. Uh, it's definitely one of those, uh, I've seen other people hype it up. And I'm just like, I think it's just a good movie. I don't know that it's his best one. I think it's probably his most mature one, but I think, people mistake maturity with quality. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. Um, it is interesting how Michael Keaton appears as a the quirky federal agent. And he later replies that role in the other Elmore Leonard adaptation out of sight. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
um this is just one of those it's very just laid back you're just seeing all these you know druggies and losers just hanging out and about you know doing yeah, some high school then oh right and uh yeah. <laughs> and uh you know it takes a while to get going because they're basic you don't really connect with anyone but it is just funny seeing even sam jackson uh dispatch one of his other associates chris tucker who's felled him and you don't know you, you see him taking him away and you're like this can't be good but then it's just funny how he just takes him in the back and he just tucker being chris tucker just unleashes on him and say motherfucker what are you doing <laughs> um it's could use a little more organization, I guess you could say. Um, but ironically, I would say the quieter moments are probably even uh, the best of all his quiet moments because it's just it's just outrageous. <laughs> right. uh, this is also notable for the AK-47s when you got to absolutely positively kill every last mofo line. That's I hear almost every other gamer use that line, but how many of them actually seen this movie is a good question. Yeah, I feel like it tends to be more overlooked um, and probably underrated. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I've seen it. I, I wouldn't even say it's his best, but it's definitely his most mature. It's just one of those, just like, you got to see it, three and a half. <laughs> um, so let, let's just jump on into Kill Bill for now. Okay. No, no, all, all good. Um, uh, so, I watched those obsessively back when they came to the theaters, and I was also really into martial arts at the time, so that's probably part of it. Oh, really? These movies might be kind of the opposite of, like, I, I bet if I rewatched, say, Jackie Brown, I'd probably like it a lot more than I liked it back then. Kill Bill, I loved the hell out of it at the time, but I'm thinking maybe if I were to sit through those movies now, I would not like them as much. Um I don't really jive with the um, that whole pseudo samurai culture thing that's set in modern times. It just feels ridiculous to me now. And I love revenge movies, but it's just like that element just seems like, eh. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not loving it as much as I did back then. I basically, I, I get that it's supposed to be one giant movie. Uh, basically how it first starts off I just absolutely hate it it mm. it does nothing for me just the Sonny Chiba cameo the training it's not convincing at all just his quick zooms like it's a Bruce Lee movie yeah yeah but at the same time it has some of the best lines and uh, basically uh, uh, it also has some interesting henchmen you got Daryl Hannah looking like one of those bandits from like an Italian movie. You got <laughs> right. uh, Michael Madsen as Bill's brother, who's less, just a thug. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I do like Lucy Liu's, you know, if any of you motherfuckers have anything My else. Man doesn't. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I can't recall her saying any other one-liners before, but it, it she's just a fun villain in this, I think. And, yeah, uh, I as well. <clears throat> So I'm going to just do a segue here. we got Jonathan Martin joining us here. Um, how you doing, brother? I'm good. Anytime. Uh, so I guess I'll let you do a ranking of Tarantino's work at the end. 
I guess. But uh, how did you come into uh, Kill Bill? I know this is your favorite of his uh, movies that he's done. Uh, why? Did, how does it jive as a slick revenge movie? <laughs> Martial arts action. Well, for me, I think it's just like a just like a fun revenge movie. And that's really all you need for this type of film. Um, I mean, this is the movie that actually introduced me to Tarantino. Okay. I wasn't entirely familiar with his work beforehand. So. Gotcha. So this was what got you in the door. You're seeing David Carradine, the legend of Kung Fu, mm-hmm. as the main villain. Not really typically someone you see unless you see some of his lesser, you know, movies. But um, I think what I remember about Kill Bill nowadays is just how it ends in the most atypical way. They're just both just shouting at each other at a dinner table. And then it's just one and done. The fight's over just like that. As opposed to (laughs) he just keeps teasing you, expecting you to think, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Nope, not going to happen. And. I guess you can say Tarantino at this point becomes more playful. I don't dig the foot scenes at the beginning and <laughs> the bug likes to fuck that. That dude goes on way too long. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. <laughs> it's wild how he worked with Wan Wu Ping, you know, Hong Kong action stager on these. Um, and this basically starts off the collaborating with Zoe Bell portion of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah I guess three and a half four out of five one of those stars uh, uh, just backtracking real briefly uh, how big a fan are you to this day I mean I know you love the hell out of true romance uh, what's your take on uh, natural born killers pulp fiction reservoir dogs and true romance well like that's true romance that's still my favorite movie he ever wrote um, Natural Born Killers. I'm actually not somebody who's huge on that one. Okay. Uh, Pulp Fiction, I actually grew to love over the years. I was not a fan of it when I first watched it. Same. I grew to love it over the years. You gotta uh, be ready for it to be break the typical uh, narrative. Yeah. At first, you just have a funny, amusing scene where two hitmen come in and kill all these druggies and you don't know what it has to do with anything. And then mm-hmm. it kind of just goes all AWOL and loose and you're just like, okay, hold up. You got to stick with it because it goes somewhere. That's true. Uh, and dogs, I think you said, hadn't aged as well for you just because it's been copied or... Well, that one I think is okay. It's mostly like Steve Buscemi who held that movie together for me. Um, gotcha. Make that movie. All right. All good. Uh, so other than that, uh, let's go into what I call stage two of Tarantino's career. You know, the 90s are over. He's embracing the 2000s. So let's go into uh, Grindhouse. <laughs> the main event. Yeah. Um, so Erica, you saw this multiple times in the theater. How many times did you see this in the oh, theater? Gosh. Like seven? I seven. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. I just kept taking different uh, groups of friends with me each time because I, I enjoyed it so much. And then I wanted to expose other people to it. 
And Daniel, I think you said this kind of had the same kind of appeal to you as, say, something like uh, Evil Dead, kind of? It's just... This is Tarantino at his most Tarantino. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. I, I like typically spoofs like this, like Black Diamond and all that. I, I just have never been able to get into this one. I, I there's some there's some gems, especially the stuntman Mike stuff. It's just it it should have been just two separate movies. It shouldn't have been one, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I get that that was the whole point, having it be a double feature like back in the day, but it's just a different market now. Yeah, I kinda love well, that was, double feature. It was at least on video as two two movies. Yeah. 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 You thought that was I, I thought when they Tarantino did the extended cut of it um, separately on Blu-ray and DVD, I thought that extended director's cut was worse. Like I love the theatrical release of Death Proof. I think I'm maybe gonna get some hate for that, but it's in my like top five. Oh, we're all gonna get some hate at some point because right. <laughs> I think if there's anything more violent than Star Wars fans is Tarantino fans because it's like there's some guys. Oh my god, how can you not like that? You idiot. Right, right. Um, yeah. And some of these guys have never seen any movie besides his crazy violent work. So it is one of those <laughs> like, okay, whatever. Um, That's true. John, how did you come across this one? <laughs> uh, this one. I remember when the trailer came out, that's what intrigued me the most. And then I actually watched them separately. I didn't get to see in the theater at the time. <sighs> I wish I did. But yeah, Death Proof, that one is weird. That's a movie that's like a two halves with me. It's like the first, I think, 20 stuff minutes is excruciating to me. Right. Because. <laughs> You meet all these characters who. I just yeah, don't like this. And then <laughs> the second half is really well. It kicks in with me. And I'm like, you should just start with them instead of these people for no reason. And. I feel like this yeah. is where Tarantino is just kind of just getting clever with the wordplay, but not actually mistaking that for substance. And then near the end, he actually gives yeah. you just some fun entertainment. Um, it, that's the other thing. It's not a stupid movie, but at the same time, it is kind of like I mentioned with Four Rooms. Because based on how you reacted to the first hour determines your mood for the next hour. So yeah, it's better to just watch them all separate. Have you seen Four Rooms? Or I've actually not seen that's Okay, yeah. That's it. And that's just it. That's four different directors, including you know Rodriguez and Quentin all just teaming up together and making a weird comedy and it is one of those you've got to actually you either want to skip around or you got to just be in a mood because it is a rough set and i just have a rough set with this this is kind of my how i am with how you guys are with the natural board killers it just doesn't i i should like it because i've seen all the people successfully like badass with trejo i think that's a perfect example i just like that kind of mm -hmm. just making fun of that older thing but I think like the machete films, it just kind of becomes too lowbrow, even by lowbrow. But I understand why everyone likes it, especially the whole planet terror, the whole uh, zombie virus and the all-star cast in that one. So, uh, fun. all right, I'm good. Yeah. So then we get to revisionist history with huh. Inglorious Bastards in 09. So... 
how wild how the trailer is not at all like the movie and i get that that's part of the joke but what a shame that should have been in the movie <laughs> i said the same thing uh so two different assassination plots <laughs> all related around a uh jewish uh cinema director not director she's just in charge of a theater but yeah and Got Brad Pitt with a giant stash and Christophe Wad says Hans Lander SS Colonel is looking really hot in this. You I mean, love be creepy and say that. Yeah, you love yourself the Jew Bear. So Yeah, I do. It's true. <laughs> it's wild how this was collaborated by both Weinstein and Universal. One is that's never gonna happen again. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so wild seeing a Universal logo before this. Um, uh, it's also wild how uh, there were even some other characters in this that were cut from the movie. Miss Himmelstein and Madame Ada, played by Cloris Leachman and Maggie Cheung. Hong Kong actress, were cut from the final movie. I don't think they've been in the deleted scenes, but there's a lot of other small moments, both Vincent from the original Inglorious Bastards is in this. That's the other thing, too. This isn't a remake. It's really just related to name only. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, Sam Levine of Freaks and Geeks is in here. Uh, BJ Novick from The Office. It's the private first class. It was weird seeing him in this. This is like the only movie I've ever seen him in. I dig uh, Mike Myers as the British Armed Forces uh, commander. Yeah. But he's yeah. just so brief. You forget that he's in this just because there's just so much other shit hitting the fan in this. Mm -hmm. Yep. Daniel, your take on it. Why are Nazis so fun to spoof? <laughs> well, there's something about just showing them get killed on site. Yeah. Um, I feel like the first and the last half are pretty awesome. All the stuff in between should have just been its own movie. Uh, I know that's what yeah. makes it fun for many people. I'm just like, for whatever reason, it, it just, my mood varies. And so as a result, my rating of this movie has just always varied throughout the years. I don't think it's as strongest, but yet at the same time, I think it's as, I don't even know that it's that as quotable, but it's, I really, other than the I want my scalps, I don't really just quote, I can't think of someone to quote this movie, but yet it has probably the most diverse cast he's ever assembled. So, I don't know. I other good lines. Say goodbye to your Nazi balls is a good one. Oh, see, I don't remember that. I don't remember that either. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, this is definitely where he gets more cartoonish. It's even weird seeing Sam Jackson and Harvey Keitel do uncredited cameo of narration. That was wild. Uh, and what can I say? Uh, obviously, everyone remembers Christoph Waltz from this. Uh, I guess you could say what's disturbing is there's some people out there, you know, how who would like to root for the villain. There were people who wanted to root for this. I'm like, careful. This is a Nazi. Yeah. Careful. Right, yeah. <laughs> I get that you Christoph. like the performance, but at the end of the day, he's just going to do what they yeah. do in every movie and just cap these 
innocent Jewish people. <laughs> this is actually my favorite Tarantino movie. I feel like this will be another sort of unpopular opinion, kind of like oh, I, I, death proof near the top. But this is my favorite one. It's my happy place. Um, I I actually really love the revisionist part of it. Like I think it's how a lot of us wish World War II had ended. It would have been a lot more enjoyable in <laughs> way to end Hitler and the, the, you know, the Nazi regime. Yeah. It's a cool the owner had, you know, it's a cool, man on a, them up. <laughs> it's a cool man on a mission type movie tribute. Yeah. I guess my issue is I just don't find many of the characters as remarkable, like mm-hmm. memorable other than the villain. And, you know, again, Brad Pitt and Jew bear, but like, I don't, like a bunch of them are played by a bunch of guys who haven't really done anything else besides stuff like Sin City. So I'm just like, this could have just had way more stuff going on in the bunks just with people I know and like, I think the cast power thing would have, could have been taken up a slight notch. Obviously Diane Kruger, we know her, Elena Troy, here she is as the theater owner. There's some weird dream scenes in this movie that, cut from the tv cut but it's like i don't know why she's imagining having sex what what the hell that was all about but okay um did i miss that maybe i missed that part was it i don't remember that from the theatrical version was that like a deleted scene or something? no it was theater i, I remember yeah. it on mega upload when that movie was out so um hmm. it's just one of those it's at the very it's very brief and at the start you're just like oh oh yeah i do know what you mean yeah where she's imagining Goebbels having sex with his secretary that one where it's like they're getting all jealous i'm like okay i i think it loses it into some of the theater segments yet at the same time the theater segments are hysterical tarantino mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. Play, mm-hmm. plays a nazi getting killed on screen um <laughs> that it, it just basically foreshadows what's going to happen in this whole theater full of nazis <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I also like how it's like this meta film like it's a sort of meta textual film about cinema itself and yeah 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 I, how... like that's probably one of my favorite things about it i have a real soft spot for well done meta narrative uh pieces so maybe movie that's within a movie. Got my number one spot yeah it, it doesn't go a full-blown movie within a movie but it does have that angle of hey yeah here's what we got and uh they, they say something like, this is like the only theater left here in this part of Austria or something like that. And yeah, <laughs> um, I almost went off with German. <laughs> it would have been more brilliant had they had Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Hitler. That would have been funny. Oh, yeah. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been hard to do. Everyone would have been like, no, no, I don't want to see Arnold. Bad guy. Fun fact, he apparently had a movie that he was supposed to do where he played this German SS officer getting revenge on some allies who had killed his friends. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. obviously you couldn't make you couldn't make that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It would have been funny <laughs> just seeing him in a tank mow down everybody. <laughs> I would be. Uh, so here we go. The first of probably several different Westerns. We got Jingo Unchained. Once again, it's related in name only to popular grindhouse cinema. But yes, we got Slave Turn Cowboy Django. <laughs> and birth of a massive Facebook meme. 
Oh my <laughs> fucking god! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so wild how. This is like the. There's before Jamie Foxx was in this, and then there's after Jamie Foxx was in this. Basically, everybody remembers Jamie Foxx even more because he was in this, I guess you could say. Because he just had that long period between that and Ray where he's just getting just shitty movies thrown at him. And it's like, oh, Jamie Foxx, he's in Django. That's right. He's good. I'm just having him yank around the dead dog again. I guess so. He he does good here. Um and it's so wild how he reprises that character in A Million Ways to Die in the West, uh, in my opinion, an underrated comedy. <laughs> uh, so it's just wild how he's just that's taken on a whole new life of its own. Uh, it's weird seeing TV legend Don Johnson here as Big Daddy. It's It's got plenty of colorful people here. Definitely. Sammy... Rotivi of Tears from the Sun is one of the slaves. Uh, Carrie Washington, I think John and I both mentioned, doesn't really do much here as the love interest Haldi. Ha- uh, uh, Brunhilde, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got James Remar playing two different people. Um, it's weird. Um, I guess a big oh scene still uh, is just Walton Goggins as one of the slave master gunmen. Uh, justified in the shield fame um this what i saw this this is the first tarantino i actually saw in the theater and i didn't mind it because i was fortunately seeing it with one of my uncles and my sister you know my sister of course knows what he's like his cinema is like obviously but my uncle hadn't really seen too many movies by tarantino and if he had he didn't remember which ones he had seen i'm sure he saw fiction but this is one of those is like wow, I didn't expect it to be that over the top. It's like, but it's pretty tame compared to most. Like, all the -the over-the-top stuff is just literally in the last few minutes, and I know he likes a good action movie when he sees it, so. Uh, I'm not a DiCaprio fan, but I do root for his comeuppance. Thoughts on the whole... character unlikable. Yeah. So, I'm gonna let you guys just rank, rank this one. Just... How do you rank this one on his filmography? I'll let you go first, Daniel. DiCaprio's filmography or Tarantino's? No, no, just Tarantino's as a whole. Just like this movie as a whole. Uh, what gels, what, what doesn't? This is middling in his projects. You know, he he was having fun with this, and it's got its uh, high points. But, I mean, by this point, Tarantino's a walking cliche, so you saw it all coming. Okay, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, Erica, just like... Yeah. This has a lot of cameos and yeah, there's a I lot of love this one. I rank it uh, number three out of the films he directed. Um, I guess I just have a, a soft spot for Tarantino's brand of historic revisionism. And I also like the um, kind of the commentary he has about American slavery and race in this. Uh, just, I love how the Django character is, honestly a lot more intelligent than the white racists in this movie and i also have a soft spot for revenge films so it has a lot of things that i like about it um and 
Christoph Waltz, once again, is awesome, and this time he's a lovable character for the most part. Unlike um, in Inglorious Bastards, where his performance was great, but the character was like, ugh. Right. Um, and uh, uh, John, I, I know you said there was some fun action, but the movie just kind of varied as a whole. Yeah, this is one of my, honestly, one of my least favorite Tarantino films. I mean, it's really, okay. it's only DiCaprio and Christoph Waltz who, in my opinion, saved this movie from being kind of dull. Oh, good. Um, I feel like this has the best moments of Bastards. Like, just all the, uh, uh, instead of we're killing Nazis, we're killing slave owners, you know. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I see that. <laughs> at, the sa- at the same time, just the soundtrack in this sucks. It, <laughs> I, it really does. I know everyone else is going to be like, oh, Cameron, you not like rap music? No, I fucking love rap music, but I don't like how it's interjected here. It just shows up and there's just mm-hmm. there's no irony to any of it, not even the lyrics. It's just like he just did it. He's like, let me get the first Kanye West track I can get and just throw it in there. I also, I, I will say, out of all the cameos, there's some fun ones, but they're not very remarkable. I, mm-hmm. like, other than James Parks, who plays one of the, you know, the son of the sheriff in those From Dust Till Dawn movies and Machete and Grindhouse. It's fun seeing those guys show up again, but then there's some other ones like unless you go on IMDb, you're not gonna recognize it. Robert Carradine was in this, Russ Tamblin and his daughter were in this. I didn't recognize them. Rex Lynn from CSI Miami and The Walking Dead is in this, didn't recognize him. Jonah Hill's in that, you recognized it because you kind of had heard about it. And then you got again Franco Nero just being a random guy at a bar, just kind of doing a tribute to his, you know, the original Django and I didn't think it was all that hyped up all it was as it could have been. It just felt like he just basically the casting in this was just get anybody who's been on the show justified. I mean, that explains why Goggins and MC Ganey are on this. And then it's just like, and then get everybody else who's a seventies name at one point. So there's some fun moments. I feel, especially in the final revenge, it is weird as my, uh, as John brought up before, seeing Jackson be basically a racist slave who yeah. just yeah. treats the other slaves like garbage. I don't, I think it's interesting role for Jackson, but like you say, I don't understand the logic behind it. If he's just doing it just to be, cause Tarantino can be deep, but when he's just, just forcing it on you, you and you don't, he loses you. Cause you don't know where he's going with it. It's like, Am I, are you just trying to get under my skin? Or is it to be ironic? Am I even I supposed to think some, about it at all? There's some historical basis for that phenomenon that mm-hmm. slave owners did have. People who thought like them. Yeah, kind of house manager, uh, slave who then became an enforcer, you know, to keep the other slaves in line. So they... They had this prestigious position, but then to keep that position, they had to treat everyone else like crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is not a popular opinion. I just feel like someone else could have been Django. I think Fox does the role what it's supposed to be, but I, I don't know. I just feel like other actors like Denzel Washington or Will Smith would have added their two cents to this a little more. 
That's just me. So Chris Alba. Uh, he could have done good, but have you seen his filmography lately? Good point. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> Basically, everyone knows him because he's just on two incredible TV shows and like a few like the Marvel stuff. And it's like, I don't even think that's the Marvel stuff's his best work. <laughs> I, just, I just really liked him as Stringer Bell on The Wire and as Luther. So, um, so I guess. It's a mixed bag for everybody, I guess, by today's standard, even though there's some gotcha moments, especially just because near the end when the people are being massacred, the henchmen, it's just it's always one of those boom, headshot, boom, you didn't see that coming. And then just gotcha moments from there on. But um, I guess I do think this is out of all the times Tarantino has died on screen. This is definitely his best moment. Just I think. I think the sad thing is that moment really you could have taken that out. It would have changed nothing about the narrative of the movie mm-hmm. is because, yeah, for a brief moment, uh, it's like Django's being uh, captured again, taken away to be killed. And of course, he'll predictably get out of it yeah. because we've seen people make fun of these kinds of movies and we've it's a tired trope. It just got the predictability kills that scene, but it is, you don't. The only thing that makes it unpredictable is seeing the stupid dim-witted henchman blow himself up, which by plot standards, pretty fucking stupid. But by Tarantino standards, kind of, kind of hysterical. Yeah, <laughs> it's meant it to be funny. funny because you know who he is. I just mean, it doesn't really make sense why. Yeah. It, it wasn't necessary. Yeah. I did get a laugh out of it, but it wasn't like the highlight of the movie. I thought these guys were very highly trained, very ruthless. And they had a bunch of heavily armed people and, Lo and behold, they hired the most inept henchman to take him away to be killed. <laughs> Seriously? Comic book bad guys everywhere. I guess so. Yeah. So there you go. This is allegory for Trump. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, words. I thought you just said Trump. What did I miss here? The trope. Trump. Trump. I heard you say Trump. Okay. <laughs> too i'm like well yeah he did kind of appoint a lot of cabinet yeah. weren't really qualified for their oh, active airing. <laughs> oh dear <laughs> you'll be editing oh. this out later probably <laughs> no i'm keeping it in it's funny um, okay cool <laughs> <laughs> oh god anything to make lesser moments in turn here's filmography funnier um yeah yeah and i i love getting hate mail for mega people anyway so oh my god uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten any yet, actually, but I'm waiting on really? it. Really? All right, I've gotten a lot of death. I right. love how these fascists uh, hate it when you share your opinion, yet they have the nerve to have not one, but five different flags on their car. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, we don't rub it in your face. Yeah, you do. No, I really don't. I don't. I've just got a sticker of Slave Girl Princess Leia on my car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any stickers on my cars. Uh, I have an I have an equality sticker, but it's inside because I don't want to. Uh, long story short, I stickers don't rub too well when it rains real hard. Anyway, um, yeah. so uh, let's go on to the second western in his filmography, The Hateful Eight. Alrighty, yes, it's another mixed bag. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how 
everyone's kind of coming around to an extended cut that was shown in certain theaters and is now on Netflix as a miniseries under like five different parts. Don't quote me. I'm just going off of memory. Um, I guess I like the isolated moments of this, but it's another just rough sit. But I also like the second half of it. But I also, if you don't like the first half, you probably won't. The second half won't make a difference to you. I've seen some people act to this like they did with From Dust Till Dawn, where they liked the first part but hated the second part with vampires. So uh, we can't all agree on this. So and I'm just going to circle around. John, did you see this in the theater or did you wait for home video? Well, this is actually the first Tarantino film I saw in the theater. Um, I guess you could say it didn't really make use of half the cast. <laughs> not really, especially Kurt Russell. Um, so Michael Madsen, you would forget he's even in this. Um, true. And then I guess the standouts are he's working with, you know, international superstar Damian Bicker, Jennifer Jason Lee, mm-hmm. and Goggins once again, but he has a bigger part. He's not the supporting bad guy here. He's just a, one of the main characters who has some bad tendencies. Um, Erica, did you see this opening day or did you wait yeah, a while on this i saw it opening weekend at the theater and i liked aspects of it but overall it's actually my least favorite of tarantino's directed films uh mm-hmm. I, I just seemed just seemed like kind of grueling and slow in some ways um I did like the cruelty of it. It was very mean-spirited. That's a plus for me. It's just, you know, obviously not my favorite of his work. No, I I get it. Uh, Because, I mean, the whole trapped and everything, he's done that before. But Mm -hmm. once you get past that aspect, then it's, there's plenty. He does always have dead or silent or moments in his movies that don't always sit well on rewatching. Yeah. But, yeah. I guess I give him a few extra points because I kind of know where he's going. He's just, again, he can't help himself but be self-indulgent. He said, like, many inspirations for this, how he'd watch TV westerns all the time, like Gunsmoke and Rawhide, and how always once a season there'd be at least one guy who takes over a saloon or a house or a ranch, and that was kind of just the basis of this. I don't get a feel of any kind of Western, even the revisionist side of this. I don't, I wouldn't even call this a neo-Western. It's just a weird Western movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does, I think work better as a miniseries on Netflix than it does as a movie. That's the weird part. I'm going to have to watch it on Netflix then. Same. Uh, it just, it's weird how some stuff just does better in when you split it up. As opposed to just having to breathe the whole thing, you know, drown in it, swallow it all at once. It's, it's a lot. Daniel, did you take to this? Or... Haven't seen it. Okay. Well, no, I'm not. Shit. sorry. All right. I'm good. Did you want to see it or are you just like, no, nope, didn't like Django, so I'm not watching this one? Uh, I, I was indifferent. All right. So now I guess we're caught up and we go into. The other, you know, 70s Charles Manson set Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's pretty 
It's pretty similar to the player, I guess you could say, minus the part where the actors are playing themselves. They just have multiple different actors playing famous people. Um, I noticed a lot of people who aren't too familiar with uh, 70s TV seem to take more to this. I kind of was very familiar with this, so that didn't really resonate with me, but uh, I, let, me, let me get your thoughts. Erica, did you did this implode on you? or? Um, I actually really enjoyed it. it a lot of it was kind of different from what I expected because <clears throat> most of the film is actually so restrained, you know, until the end. Um, but after having seen you know, movies like Django and uh, Inglorious Bastards and some of his other films, I was so used to having excessive violence throughout the movie that it was kind of different just to see this kind of slow story unfold that's just about people's Hollywood careers. And, and then, you know, they, they gear up to the, the Manson plot. I am glad that they, he did have another revisionist twist because honestly, I didn't want to watch Sharon Tate get murdered on film. It would have been just fucking depressing. Like, I think most of us are familiar with the Manson murder case. Don't really need to revisit that necessarily. So it is another one where I, I dig the revisionist angle. And when he does get uh, violent near the end it's really satisfying i really liked seeing the horrible stuff that's done to the cult members um so i ranked this uh number five out of tarantino's movies oh good um john did you take to this especially at one best picture at the academy awards or was it just kind of a lackluster like what stood out as good what stood out as no, it's good. There's something to like or not like in every Tarantino movie. So I'm just... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was... For the most part, it was lackluster until you get to the ending, which is what really saved it for me. And right. the best part was Brad Pitt's performance. As the douchebag stuntman who thinks, yeah, yeah I got it yeah. better than these guys. Yeah. <laughs> what? I, first off, why is everybody still arguing about the whole damn Bruce Lee thing? Yeah, I don't <laughs> this is all fantasy at the end of the day. I everyone was just going on and on about that, and I was just like, clearly, you know, this isn't it's Tarantino. Yeah. This is not not a documentary. So mm-hmm. it, it's like he opened that whole can of worms and it's not even a can of worms. It's really not even worth talking about. I don't remember who even played Bruce Lee. It was an unknown. There's a bunch of other cameos here. Um, I had some friends who really loved this. They went and saw it multiple times in theaters. I had other pal, like one pal who had issues with it from like a film editing perspective. Like Timothy Oliphant is in the more heavily featured in the director's cut. Apparently um you i've only seen the theatrical and it does that awkward just kind of zoom cut this is like that looks kind of hackish why did they do that do it that way that was weird um it's weird how there's a tv show being developed on the fictional tv show in the movie called (laughs) bounty law and i'm like uh that might be more interesting uh so this is gonna piss off everybody and (sighs) bear with me here I don't find many things notable about this movie. And I typically like stuff that is behind the scenes, you know, stuntmen like day for night. 
that's a brilliant uh, Bertolucci film about, uh, you know, an Italian film production plagued with issues. I, I love stuff to, that gives people an inside scoop on how hard it is to make, you know, what these lights come on, these actors come here on time. I just did nothing resonated with me. It just was tone deaf. Just, just uh, Damian Lewis, who I love on TV shows like Band of Brothers and Homeland. I, I don't remember him as Steve McQueen. It just didn't stand out in his portrayal or anything. Yeah. And I'm not putting that on him. I just, I don't even remember how the Manson characters were killed. Just, I, I am just, there's so, it's very oversaturated here. This is kind of like how you guys were with some of the previous ones. I just feel like this one is just a milkshake that just keeps on going and going. And uh, I don't know. I just find more, at that point, I just found more amusement in getting the runs. It just did not stand out to me. And I understand why it does stand out to many people because they, they are going all the way out and trying to capture the look and feel. They're having even a Clue Gallagher reference, and he's even in the movie as a totally different character. So it's just like they, they got all this various stuff, all this other stuff that's going to take multiple rewatches just to get it all in. I I just did not take to it. I thought I might like this. I mean, I'm not crazy about Leo, but I like the whole idea of, you know, a trash talking stuntman and trying to get in, trying to become an actor and failing. And then a main actor who's again, you know, going through, you know, Perry Mason type shows and then get ending up on rawhide type stuff. <laughs> and I like Margot Robbie nothing about her portrayal of Sharon Tate just stood out to me. It just, they didn't give her much to do yeah. in my opinion. I was just like, okay, she looks like Sharon Tate. What is she doing exactly? I mean, I just, I get that it's meant to be a fairy tale. To me, it was just a very weird dream that I wake up and I don't really talk about afterwards. I just, <laughs> except it sound it started interesting at first and I just, I didn't take to it. It didn't, I understand why it unfolded on everybody, but I, I, I'm going to just stop myself here before I piss someone else off. So I just, <laughs> it, it, it didn't leave an impression on me. So I was just like, okay, <laughs> glad you liked same. it. Oh, sorry, a little off topic, but on the subject of Leonardo DiCaprio, um, when he was like such like hot stuff in Titanic, I really did not like him. I thought, you know, like he's too young. He he doesn't have that gravity of uh, more mature actors. But in his more recent films, I'm starting to really respect his acting a lot more. Um, I thought he was phenomenal in Django Unchained as the the main bad guy, and thought he was also really good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, although not quite so kind of over the top as a character. He was more of a normal guy in a lot of ways at least normal as far as actors go <laughs> he's worked in some movies i guess you could say like uh, inception and blood diamond but then there's other ones like i've seen him in shutter island and revolutionary road and yeah. even the revenant and i guess because his characters didn't really have much to do i just and, and but yet he was campaigning to win each time i just didn't care for him as a person or as an actor and then 
I just didn't like those movies. Just they were just total, just like seriously. Why was that three hours long? <laughs> yeah. Guy wandering around the snow, getting attacked. That's and is that really acting if you're actually doing that for real? I don't really think so, but that's just... <laughs> uh so yeah, I I think I had cousins who were all into him. I think his best role probably was Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that was a that was a total uh, Frank Capra esque kind of tell. Be careful what you wish for, kind of thing. And then, I mean, I had cousins who swore by his version of Romeo and Juliet, which I just thought oh, was so sad. Oh. Th- oh. I like Leguizamo and Paranel, but I mean, just that bizarre style is like, why did they go all gangster again with that? I don't know. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Deep hurting alert. <clears throat> um so what do you think he's gonna do next? Is he gonna just keep doing more of these alternate timelines or is he gonna because it looks like he's just doesn't want to do LA crime type stuff anymore or movies with even horror or as many action elements anymore. He's just kind of just going for just weird uh throwbacks. In theory, isn't he, he? I think I read that he planned to quit after film number ten. So Bill Bill is one film. He has one more movie to do. Maybe I think he was just doing that to talk trash. Because right, I really the, hope he doesn't quit after ten. But I don't know. It's it's an interesting idea. How do we feel about him as a person versus as a filmmaker? Yeah. Uh, uh. Because it seems like he just wants to just start arguments and then just because he's he's not the kind of guy who goes on Twitter and is drunk as a skunk. But at the same time, like everything he says never matches up. Mm. He's like that slacker at school who spoke some wisdom, but even though he wasn't very good at anything else. And it's so weird how his mate. He hasn't made headlines in the wrong way like every other blockbuster where it's like, okay, uh, this this is a questionable circumstance. But here is like, he was already saying, I won't make the Hateful Eight after this uh, script got leaked. But a lot of people have looked at that more closely and just thought, yeah, he leaked it. <laughs> and then he just, you know, talked trash, even though he was going to make it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, no. I don't know a ton about him as a as a person other than his foot fetish thing, which I actually only found out about in the last couple of years. I feel like that's something I can overlook, though. I, I don't care that he likes feet. And sometimes, although sometimes that fetish comes through a little too prominently in some of his films, like, I don't need that many close-ups of feet. So yeah, it's just not I would. I don't think I would put him as the best filmmaker of all time, but as the best, more mainstream B movie kind of guy, is the best tribute. I guess you could put him in the De Palma category of best homage creator. Yeah, you can yeah. tell. I mean, I, I respect his love and knowledge of film, especially um, <laughs> exploitation film. It's weird how he is so liked by everybody, including people who hate exploitation movies. That's just the the breaker. That's what's so groundbreaking is like, okay, wow, okay. Um, 
More or less. Uh, I think he has plenty of other movies he's going to do. He's just, I think he just needs to just stop doing interviews mm-hmm. and just, uh, you know, I don't think he's a dumb person. Cause I mean, I would see him on Charlie Rose a lot back in the day, but at the same time, I just think he should just play it safe. I did lose a little respect for him because I could kind of tell that he acted like he owed Weinstein something. He's like, nah, dude. Yeah. No one owes that prick anything. <laughs> no. Um, so other than his contrary just statements and all that, I think he might have three more movies in, in for him. I don't think he's perfect. I don't blame anyone who praises him. I don't blame anyone who's never wanted to bother with him because they found all his profanity very annoying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it was weird. In film school, I I had so many people who were like, just don't emulate Tarantino as if it was taboo. They just, (laughs) for whatever reason, they just thought, oh, you're just going to... I think there's a lot of people who are jealous about him at the same time that's the weird thing i'm like what do you have to be jealous about he's kind of become his own thing and survived being parodied that's kind of a that's kind of a rarity i don't see any other movie star or filmmaker getting back from that when they're made fun of so uh (laughs) yeah that's true my my friend andre iskanov uh yeah the extreme horror director wanted (laughs) you know spoof that consists of mostly white people calling each other the n-word at gunpoint and then <laughs> close-ups of feet men's feet women's feet dog feet cat feet bird feet <laughs> jesus christ yeah, <laughs> everything yeah. i i almost feel like tarantino should do something that is offensive just to show that he's the only guy who can get away with it yeah Right. Yeah. I would actually like to see him cast a bunch of more comedians in his work. He hasn't really done too much of that, but I could totally see someone like Anthony Jeselnik, Jim Gaffigan, even Sarah Silverman just show up and just mm-hmm. play violent assholes in his movies. I don't know. I think where he's been less productive, he's been made up for just because of the appeal of so many of his other movies. I definitely he's often in put in the same category as and bear with me. I know these guys aren't all on the same <laughs> consideration. He's <laughs> he came out around the same time as Hal Hartley, who does a lot of these quirky movies. I think he's English. Uh, Jim Jermush, who I definitely swear by. I'm, I'm definitely behind Ghost Dog and uh, all those other movies. Uh Paul Thomas Anderson, who I know a lot of people adore. I'm not one of them. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, then there's Rodriguez, but then, you know, people also compare him to Kevin Smith. And, uh, you know, Kevin's another one of those guys who a lot of people seem to like his earlier stuff, but really loathe his recent material. So I feel like he's just navigated outside of them enough times to where he just kind of wants to set an example, but you don't know what exactly he's missed out on plenty of other opportunities. As I was talking earlier, he could have totally done a Vega brothers movie, but he didn't even do that. So 
I don't, I don't really know what's next. If he retires tomorrow, I, I really won't be affected by it because just so many people are just busy imitating him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think he's had an interesting and mostly intriguing career. And most movie buffs tend to like him, especially those who are into comic books and just bizarre anthologies and all that. But at the same time, he's not easy to recommend because, again, mileage varies on even his early stuff. So I guess you could say he's an icon, but he's also, uh, again, you are what you eat. So if you know someone doesn't like these kinds of movies, you might not want to recommend them. But at the same time, I've seen people who don't typically like over-the-top movies praise him. Mm-hmm. So there's another coincidence there. So yeah, Even my mom, who normally hates violent movies, really enjoyed Django and Inglorious Bastards. So go <laughs> so, <laughs> figure. We saw it in the theater together. <laughs> it is weird. It's like, Oh, okay. So it's fine if this person does it, but no one, someone else does it. Oh, how dare they? So I, I think it is. He's definitely been one of those. I mean, uh, I even have pals, and even my father don't typically watch dark comedies, and they liked movies like this. So it is an interesting predicament. Um, so you're more into his earlier stuff, and some of us are more into his. Uh, later stuff and so I think as a whole you can get some gotcha moments from all of this stuff but the sad thing is it's going to take you multiple rewatches just to even get a general impression from his movies so um, if you got free hours just go through a lot of his stuff everyone has a favorite <laughs> least favorite um and be ready to disagree because there's just going to be ones where it's like, it's okay, guys. <laughs> Call spade a spade. Agree to disagree. Um, so, Erica, where can we find you on the social media? Uh, find me on Instagram at my horrific life or on my website, myhorrificlife.com. Groovy. And John. <laughs> me on Twitter, action fan. Five five five. Yeah, Instagram Jonathan Mark. Woo! <laughs> and Nightmare Nerd Daniel. As always, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Adrian can be scary and enjoy, folks. Groovy, groovy. Um, and yeah, this is just a treat because we hadn't really done too many filmmaker chats. We've done like a few here and there. Obviously, we did one last week, but I'm just saying this was really cold. It's kind of. Mm-hmm. Get an intriguing look into someone who is very unpredictable and hard to classify. So, uh, thank you for all joining in. I know this wasn't easy to make, so... All right. Have a good night. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, everyone do something fun for the rest of the night, and you, especially Daniel, have a very safe trip to work. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm going to need it. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up review show.